By the 1660s, London was already a bustling metropolis, the largest city in Britain by far, and the third largest in the Western world. Three to 400,000 people called the city home. It was an unplanned sprawl of makeshift houses with tiny streets full of wood and thatch roofs, with its centre surrounded by the defensive wall built by the Romans some 1,200 years earlier. In the early hours of September 2nd, 1666, a small fire would break out, which would quickly be whipped up by strong winds and poor leadership into a conflagration that would burn for some five days, gutting the city and throwing countless lives into absolute turmoil. This week on Cheeky Tales, we'll learn about the devastating Great Fire of London and the impact it had on the future of the city. What is it with you and themes? What's the theme this yeah, time? What's the well, theme? You had a f- an island that was on fire for multiple days in the last <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. last episode. I did, yeah. Now you've got a whole episode about something being on fire for multiple days. Oh, yeah. no. Are we creating some sort of, like, cheek verse? Like, <laughs> the, <laughs> the cheeky verse? Like, how everything interconnects? The CPU. Oh, no. Oh, the che- <laughs> cheeky <laughs> podcast universe. I mean, eventually they're all going to be the same, right? <laughs> like- I mean, it all is one universe anyway, because we're only it we're getting all story connects, man. Oh man, for, for the cheeky, the cheeky listeners, ah, oh, crap. Collective term for the cheeky tales fans. There's got to be someone out there that's going to create the CPU and CPU. link it all together. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. I mean, we have done a lot of interconnected episodes already, and there's a lot of this going around. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Someone came up with the idea that all their albums are connected in the Gizverse. The Gizverse. Yeah. I mean, all our stories are connected. It's all our history. It's our history. It's all human history. It oh. is, yeah. It's all one thing, man. So we got a big fire. Yeah, big flamey boy. We didn't start the fire. Someone oh, did. No. It was always burning oh, since no. the world was turning. Before we get we started, didn't start the fire. we reference a number of geographic locations in old time London that still exist today. There will be a map on our linked on our link tree. Uh, Pause the which, episode, go to the socials, Yep, get the map. the map. It may be useful unless you know London, then good on you. Yeah, and if you do know London, congratulations, you yuppie <laughs> bugger. Um, you can find our link tree on our socials pages at Cheeky Tales Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Go there, have a look at some images that we post for every episode, and go to the link tree to find any interesting references that we tell you will be on the link tree. This is the time that every listener that has ever- lived in London for two weeks. He's <laughs> going to start bragging to their friends about the time they lived in London. I was in London I was and in I London. saw the monument. Oh, you haven't been to Berlin. Oh, yes. <laughs> but speaking of the map. Yep. Most important question. <laughs> yes. Where is Houghton Garden? Houghton yes! Garden. Uh, you will need to quickly Google that. The CPU! <laughs> <laughs> uh, while while uh, podcast producer Sean uh, looks for that, uh, let's do quick introductions. I am Aaron. Uh, you may know me from such roles as storyteller hey, and Blake. Oh, listener. <laughs> and that voice uh, saying the thing that everyone says when they hear me <laughs> recorded is John. Uh, this week, the listener extraordinaire. You may also know him as storyteller. Because there's two <laughs> okay. roles on this episode that we alternate. Well, oh, that we alternate, but there's three roles now. I mean, Sean's done it too. He's got four episodes in a row now. He's on a hot streak. Yeah. Oh, I am. Hot. Hot in the CPU. Hot boys. <laughs> hot boys. 
That was a thing Hot for a while. Summer. That was a thing for a while. Oh man, Hatton Garden is Dude, so oh, close. I like that song. Bit of the moist boys at the moment. It's a bit Whoa, warm it's a bit warm in here, isn't it? Oh, okay, that's what you mean. Hatton Garden is so close. Is it? It's nearly in it. Nice. It's nearly in it by like a, a couple of blocks, if that. There you go. A couple of blocks away from today's story. So let's get into it. Jack the Ripper Museum. Hey, hey, hey. Museum for a man they never caught. Hey, there's a lot of that that may become an episode. McDonald's. Already, we've already talked about Jack the Ripper in the in the medley of madness. Yeah, we did, but we haven't done a whole episode yet. CPU. Oh, He's oh. in podcast ideas. Tell you what, when I, if I eventually get to <laughs> London, I'm going to ye old Cheshire cheese. Not again. <laughs> again, that is Sean taking a drink of beer. That is not Sean taking a hit on a bong and then coughing. <laughs> Blaze it. All right, let's hit, let's hit my first podcast topic title. Paternoster Chop House. Oi, what's this London thing? Oh, oh, I've screwed up the accent immediately. Oi, what's this London? Th- I can't say London in the British it's accent. It's the worst please, accent I've ever Please heard. keep this Oi, all in. What's this London thing anyway? What's so this London thing anyway? You've just outdone Dick Van Dyke as the worst Cockney accent in yeah, recorded history. Good. So let's start with a very brief overview of the history of London. You sound like you're from London. And how it got the way it was in September of 1666. Now, London, obviously, uh, of- Do it. Old. Of old. Yeah, I was going to say of Austin Powers fame. Oh. Um, while the absolute earliest evidence of settlements alongside the River Thames, which is the dumbest name of a river ever because it's spelt Thames, the site of modern day London date to around 4,800 BCE. Let me shine your shoes, governor. So that is an old city. The London that we all know and love was founded in around 50 AD by the Romans. Uh, you asked about the Roman city walls before. And it wasn't recorded, so you're just no. going back to something that people have no idea about. John saw Good the map job. that I'm referencing and went, Roman walls, what's this? Ooh. Yeah, it's London, not Rome. Why have I written about Roman walls? Mm. Ooh. I don't sound like that at all. A little bit. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, it was founded in 50 AD by the Romans after their invasion of the British Isles. After the Roman civilization collapsed like a pop dare bed in the 5th century, the city was basically <laughs> abandoned. And- <laughs> yeah, I forgot I wrote that. <laughs> the city was basically abandoned until the Vikings had gone away oh, and I the West pun. Saxons had refounded the city in 886. Yeah, we haven't had a pun for a few weeks. Yeah, you keep forgetting to do it. I keep doing it. Mm. Well, for last episode, let's retrospectively say, boy, plug in the cartridge and let's go. Blow in the cartridge. Yeah, blow in the cartridge, shove it in, work out it still Um, doesn't work, pull it out again, blow in it again, plug it back in, go, I can't believe this doesn't work, pull it out again, blow on it again, plug it back in. Oh, it works. Oh, I forgot to plug my controller in. Turn the console off, put the controller back in, turn on the console again. Oh, the cartridge doesn't work again. Pull it out, blow in it, plug it back in. Now it works. Great. Get oh, I forgot to tune my TV correctly. So then you got to tune your TV because the old-timey game consoles plugged into the aerial port and then you had to tune it into your TV like a channel. So then you finally got the tuning done and oh, console, the, the console cartridge doesn't work again. So you unplug the cartridge, blow in it again, plug it back in, pl- turn on your console. Great, now I can play. And then you get eight hours in. Yeah, well done. <laughs> well done, boy. That was, that was great. That was just nonstop. And then, of course, you get eight hours into the game you've been dying to play for ages till you and find out. Pong. No, until you break. <laughs> 
Sorry, I prefer volleyball. Till you, till you realise your brother has filled up all of the save spaces on your eight megabyte memory card with Disney's Adventures of Hercules. I've got eighteen saves. Eighteen saves of Disney's Hercules because he can't work out how to save it right. Right. So the pun for this week is: show us your crown jewels. All right. I don't see your story. I don't know. I got nothing. I just wanted to say that. Pull your pants down like London Bridge, <laughs> smack me bottom and call me Cockney. Let's do it. Oh, Cut that. Uh, <laughs> not a chance that's staying in. So we are at 886 when the West Saxons reformed London. Please, my mother listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to Carolyn Turnock. I'm sorry your son's such a gross disappointment. <laughs> sorry, he's an, sorry, he's an itchy boy. <laughs> an itchy boy. Itchy boy. Oh. The city would slowly grow until 9.50 when a rapid expansion began. What, 9.50 a.m. or p.m.? A.D. By the 11th century, London would become the largest city in Britain and would eventually become the capital when the equivalent of the modern government would settle in Westminster. What was was the largest city before that? Not a clue. Okay. Only we had a fact checker that Mm. could immediately look it up. There's no way I'm going to be able to find (laughs) That's- that's deep in That's English t- law. <laughs> here we go. History of the largest cities. From here, London would become a centre of trade for England and would eventually be the, uh, the site of key engagement of the English Civil War in 1642, which would see King Charles I try to take power away from the Parliament. This doesn't sound important to the story of the fire, but trust me, it will be. By the time of the fire in 1666, the city was burst at the seams within the old Roman wall and expanded outside the walls as well to the areas nearby. King Charles II was the monarch, and the Lord Mayor was a a man named Sir Thomas Bloodworth, a known yes man. What a name. How do you get a name like that? Sir Thomas Bloodworth, at your service. Yeah, he sounds like a weasel too. Oh, get ready. This man is Colchester. not a saint. Colchester was the largest. Uh, yeah, roughly. That wasn't that hard to find, was it, Sean? Yeah, it only took you two or three minutes. Yeah, well, it, they're trying to work out the population of a town that was in the fourth century. It's, it's not a lot of data. Data. This section is called a big old tinderbox. Mm. Sorry, say that. Say that again. A big uh, old tinderbox. Big old okay, tinderbox. Big old tindy boy. So, now that uh, we know- so, now that we know what the deal was with London, let's discuss why it was considered London. pretty likely that the place would go up in flames. Can you do John F. Kennedy if he was raised no. in London? Boo. <laughs> I'm not having another week of John F. Kennedy impressions. It happens too often. Uh, if he I, was English. I really want to do the story of John F. Kennedy next fortnight now. Oh, no. Come on, let's hear you, John F. Kennedy, if he was oh, an I'm English not trying one. that. I can't even get the John F. Kennedy <laughs> right now. I just want him to mess him up with his London accent for the rest of the episode. Uh, no, nah, I'm not thinking about it. As I said in the introduction, the place was already overcrowded and makeshift in its planning, with narrow streets that wind through buildings that hadn't really been planned at all. All the buildings made of wood? So most of them were made Would with- Would you say they were made of wood? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, although they were. Uh, most of them were made with this material that uh, with this wall construction material that was like interwoven branches mm-hmm. with mud stuck either side. Oh, so, so mud like, rendering. Yeah, but yeah, basically. Um, and they 
if they're constructed and new, they're so more- Yep. So it was the first and second pig had joined forces to make a house of mud and sticks. Oh, that's a good yes. deep cut. That's a good deep cut. That's a good deep cut. And even the wolf probably could still blow it down because they were pretty poorly made. Yeah, but okay. if these houses were uh, new and the walls weren't damaged yet, they were actually so- They were fireproof enough that they would be the highest grade of fireproof wall material today. Okay. However- and I don't really go into it in this. I touch on it, but the houses were very poorly maintained. Mm-hmm. So quite often the wood would be exposed, mm-hmm. like the this, the mud would be chipped away from just use. Yes. Um, yeah. Ready for another deep cut, Sean? Would you say if you were to fill the house with molasses, <laughs> would it leak? Oh, yes. my God. This came up last week. I just learned yesterday, actually this morning, last night, that- you know how they, you know how the English talk about treacle. Yes. Yeah, that's molasses. Just molasses. Yeah. Yes. So, oh, last. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Last Saturday, Brisbane had the St Patrick's Day parade. Yeah. Uh, as we're aware, I play the bagpipes for some reason. Yeah, you've I only know. mentioned that four hundred times. times. But don't They're say Scottish. this. It's, it's a Celtic instrument. It's I deeper went through than this that. whole thing. No, yeah, I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just I, poking the bear. Yeah, oh, I had and St Patrick's Day is English. Uh, Irish. Yep. Irish and Scotland don't get along. They do get along. Didn't you just say Irish and Scotland? Irish, Irish and Scotland, yeah. <laughs> they Irish do. and Scottish don't get along. They do get traditionally, along. Traditionally, they don't. No, traditionally, they do get along because they're the same damn people most mm, okay. from most of history. Anyway. So say you. St. Patrick's Day Parade. I'm in the city and I'm talking to one of the ladies from the pipe band. And she's like, oh, my daughter's reading this book at the moment. And it's about this. I'm like, oh, my God, I know what it is. And she was reading this book about the molasses flood. Hey, there you go. It's a story written from the perspective of a young girl that was there. Yeah. Next thing you know- Who had a brother get drowned in molasses? Like, we know the girl. Was it the guy from the start of my episode? Yes. Oh. So, next thing you know, she's reading this book and then I'm telling her that she hasn't read the book and I'm telling her the entire story. because The we did CPU it. has made it to the real world. The Matrix is, yeah, it's real. <laughs> On with the show. On, on with, with the, the show. show. You're only meant to blow the bloody doors off. So, so like I said- It's a Michael Caine reference. It is a good Michael Caine reference. Houses that is from are, Austin Powers. No, it's not. Yes, no, it is. No, it's not. Oh, whatever. I don't care. What's it from, boy? Uh, it's a movie. Are you supposed to blow the bloody doors off? With Michael Caine? I don't know. We were kind of talking about it just the other week. Something else. It's from The Italian Job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is too. So, like I said, the place is overcrowded, makeshift. Everyone's building houses in stupid ways that aren't Set planned. in Turin, not London. Yeah, they're up. making houses <laughs> that were called jetties. No, jetties it. was the- That's the thing that goes over house. water. Oh. Yeah, I know. But, mm. like, that's- it, It's I great. I get to it. All right. <laughs> As there had already been some pretty- Shut hon- up, Sean. Jesus. <laughs> As there had already been some pretty honking fires, even as recent as 1633, wooden homes with thatched roofs had been prohibited for centuries years, already. years, that's not recent. I mean, considering the city was formed in 50 AD, yes it is. That wooden homes with thatched roofs had been prohibited for centuries already, but this hadn't stopped people from using them to build their homes and business, as they were so cheap to use. <laughs> what? Your cat. What's he doing? I'm watching him drink and I can see water like spray out oh, the yeah. front of the bar. Yep. <laughs> he, he licks the water out more than he licks it in. The wealthy centre of the city was predominantly built of brick or stone, but it was surrounded by an inner ring of densely populated poor districts, which were packed in and full of wooden thatch. 
Were they dirt poor? That is actually where the term dirt poor comes from because they build the walls out of dirt. Oh, it's actually not quite. The term comes from if you had dirt floors in right. your house, you were dirt poor. Bada bing. Touching on the narrowness of the streets, Sean, this is your moment. This was made worse by the technique of building houses with jetties. These were upper floors that jutted out further into the street than the lower floor. Oh, so a veranda. Not really. Picture no. the whole house being wider. Okay. Picture the car. So a Queenslander. <laughs> picture an upside down pyramid. Yeah. It's what like a traditional Queenslander's made like. When you picture like cartoon descriptions and drawings of like sort of houses, yeah, how they always houses, go. Yeah. Top heavy. The Weasley's yeah. house from yeah. Harry Potter. So the upper floors jutted out further into the street than the lower floor, which on the upper stories of homes would get so close they practically touched. So you could like shake hands with your neighbour through your upper window. Gross. This would obviously make it much easier for fire to spread between buildings, which is why King Charles II made a proclamation in 1661 forbidding buildings to be constructed this way. He was consequently ignored by the population who kept building them this way. And so in 1665, he would authorise imprisonment of builders who ignore the proclamation and the destruction of buildings that didn't comply. That's a bit rough. Again- he was straight up ignored by the population and they continued building them this way. He was also a garbage king from memory. King Charles II wasn't was, too bad at this time. He was king for three years. No, he was for much longer than that. King Charles II. King Charles II was the king of Scotland from 64 to 51, king of England, Scotland and Ireland until his death in 1685. Must be thinking of Charles I. Yeah. What, what Charles are we up now? Is it the third? He is Charles III, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you think um, the last one was in 1660-something? No, Charles. When this episode comes out, it's only about four weeks till the coronation. Mm, There you go. Down by the riverfront, things started to get even more bonkers dangerous. Um, I should say bonkers dangerous. While the river would provide plenty of water for firefighting, should there be a fire, and give people the chance to jump on a boat to run away, or float away, there was the little problem of people using their combustible materials to build their homes and storehouses- while also storing wooden barrels of black powder oh. or gunpowder. So not only were the houses basically little bonfires waiting to spark, but they were full of barrels of literal gunpowder as well. <laughs> they were just explosives. And let's not forget the Tower of London, which also had five to 600 tonnes of gunpowder stored inside as well. If you reference the map, the Tower of London is on the end of the Roman wall on the eastern side. The last factor that would contribute to the worst fire plan in history was the old Roman walls themselves. Uh, They surrounded the city and would restrict entry and exit to just eight narrow gates. As you can imagine, choke points like that would start to cause a bit of trouble should there be a need to get out of the city, uh, which you can imagine is going to be a theme during this episode. Seems like a bit of a bottleneck. Yes, absolute choke point. How did they fight fires back then anyway? You might be wondering- with their fists. Come here, cop this. <laughs> Come here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna headbutt you. It's okay, Governor. I'll punch the fire out. Oh, my fist. What were the soccer hooligans like back then? The football hooligans. Did football exist? I don't know. Sean, when did football start? Lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> How did they fight fires back then, anyway? Tell me about the history of the oldest sport that anyone bloody knows. W- it, real tennis with water. Wow. <laughs> With the throwback episodes tonight. Yeah. It's a, it's a deep cut Monday. CPU. 
How does a whole city catch on fire anyway? No, you might football be was not around. With Sorry. fire. With lightning. No. Oh. With- Where were the firefighters? The firefighters didn't exist. Yes, they did. Probably a good time to touch on how fires were fought in these times. Sure. As you might imagine, with the way I've described the houses being built, it was pretty common for fires to break out. I'm going to say they used water bombers. No. No. They strapped- Buckets to birds. <laughs> <laughs> Fly over the houses. That's another deep cut. Okay. Instead so of sending the birds in to put things on fire. I didn't I didn't write it in the episode and we can decide to cut it if you wish. But oh, so there is this is cut it or keep it? This is a cut it or keep it. There are accounts of people viewing the fire and they're like, I didn't understand what the pigeons were doing. So people had pigeons that they kept for food mm-hmm. and they were like, they would- the pigeons would stay on the house until it was on fire and they would stay so long until their wings started burning. Then they would try and take off and then their wings would burn and then they'd fall back down into the fire and die. And they were like, what are they doing? Why aren't they just flying away? What's going on? No one knows why they did it. The rat of the sky, pigeons. Not the first time we've had flaming birds on this podcast. Not the first time. But it might be the last after that absolute flop. Cut it. <laughs> It was pretty common for fires to break out, as I said. It was our job to make a joke about it, Sean, so. Yeah, we failed. And so there were roughly 1,000 bellmen. Was that when KFC was invented? Oh, now we can keep it. (laughs) KFP. (laughs) Kensington Fried Pigeon. (laughs) It should have been FFP, Flaming Fried Pigeon. Flaming Fried Pigeon, yeah. Flaming Flying Pigeon. Flying, falling, flaming pigeon. This all I've got to eat, sir. Please, sir, can I have some more? So, there were roughly 1,000 bellmen who would wander the streets at night looking for fires. Bellmen or bellends? This is an actual job. They would literally just walk around the streets looking for fires. And if they saw one, they'd raise the alarm through muffled rings of the church bells. So, they'd go up and just like... Uh, This would then draw the attention of locals. Is that why they were muffling it? Yeah. It seems dumb. It would draw the attention of locals who cared enough to come and fight the fire. Oh. Who would then use the twin prongs of water and demolition to fight the fire. Cool. So just whatever's on fire, knock it down, make a barrier so it can't spread and let it burn itself out. Pretty oh. much. Yeah. For water, they would use leather buckets with bucket lines, taking water from the nearest pipe or the river up to the fire, and then using ladders to get up high on the building and yeet the water on the flames. When things got a bit more extreme, they would demolish buildings in the fire's path with axes and fire hooks, which are these like big sticks with a hook on them. They just like grab part of the building and reef it down. <laughs> Doesn't seem very structurally sound. No, because that's what like they were just able to pull houses <laughs> that's down. Not, that's not strong. As a carpenter, <laughs> yeah, you pull your house down with a stick <laughs> and a hook. No wonder could the pig you- could blow them down, hey. <laughs> Could you imagine if I just rocked up to your house, pulled the wall off, and a hook and just the whole thing just fell in? Like, boy, why? <laughs> that begs the right. question: How many of these houses got knocked over by someone just falling out of bed, oh, or just drunk? Yeah, <laughs> just like just stumbling. stumbling into the wall. Guys that had had a few, a little bit too much of Kensington fried pigeon and got a <laughs> yeah. little bit heavy. Oh, I'm so chubby. I mean, you know, like you know, you see the stories of night of like people driving into someone's land. Yeah. It's not someone driving into your house and you're losing a wall. It's someone, it's someone stumbling leaning against it for a second. And your house collapses. Yeah. Oh, it gets to a summer day and the mud starts to get a little bit soft <laughs> and you're like, Ooh. 
just get a bit sweaty and lean up against the wall, fall through it. It just starts wobbling like jelly. So, yeah, they would demolish these houses that were downwind of the fire to create fire breaks and try and contain it that way. Um, and it had been very effective in previous fires. How can I speak? Yeah, some of the paintings of it are pretty funny. It's just like a bunch of guys with these long sticks just like, Ugh. There were. Uh, there was also a system of pipes that supplied water to 30,000 homes that could be plumbed. Uh, sorry, not 30,000. It's 30,000 over the total of London, not just London, London. Um, that will make sense later. Sure. So they could be plumbed into with a hose to spray on the fire to, or to fill up buckets. There were also fire engines, which very much surprised me that they would exist back then. However, these were not as useful as the ones we know today. Often they didn't have hoses, just spouts, uh, and only somewhere uh, and only some were on wheels. Many of them were built on sleds that had to be dragged to the fire and then dragged to a water source and then dragged to the fire. I was going to say, is it just like a a horse with a cart and you know, like your hand pump? It does seem like, like with, it a, was a, with a hose that went down to the water and you just hand pump. The yeah, it water did kind of seem that way. Um, during the Great Fire, many had to be dragged down to the banks of the River Thames. Uh, where they would then fall into the river being completely useless. <laughs> so. Good, good job, 1666 people. Yeah, I know, right? Like, oh, I've got this fire engine. It'll be good to put out this big fire. Oh, shit, it fell in the river. <laughs> Most of them didn't have wheels. Yeah. He, he, he did say that. Yeah. So they just drag I them just, about. I just had the, like, the, you see, like, viral videos of people reversing boats into the, yeah. the straight in. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> Same as that. Whoops. All right, set the scene. Mm-hmm. You know what London's like. Picture yourself looking at a picture of London. Picture yourself <laughs> hovering over London. You know what? You know what? We've done that a few weeks now. The joke's fucking old now. Picture yourself listening to this podcast, watching a map of London. They are currently picturing themselves <sighs> listening to us looking at a map of London, so- Yourself. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you have to get the beat button ready, boy. Jeez. Oh, sure. Uh, once again. Sure. I think we're going to have to get a new producer. This one's getting once again, fiery. I, once again, I request the use. Thank you. I request the use of the sound bipe of beep to cover my own swear words. Thank I'll you. I'll cover it. It's all good. We've got to keep that PG rating. With my own noise, though. Because uh-huh. it adds extra editing for you, and I know. It's so annoying when you do that. Just I'm not going to do Use your own. Yeah. So, we're up to the big flamey boy itself. In the very early morning of Sunday, September 2nd, at around 1am. Yep. You burned this story into my ear holes, boy. Good job. Thank Although you. Although you wouldn't want to do that, you'll never hear again. I got, I got it. Got the, the pun. Farriner Family Bakery on Pudding Lane was seeing the last of the family go to bed. Actually, I do remember seeing Pudding Lane in the map. And you're welcome. Thank you, Aaron, for providing... A map that I can reference throughout the episode for all the geographical locations that are going to be mentioned. So, the Farriner family bakery on Pudding Lane was seeing the last of the family go to bed at 1am on the 2nd of September. They claimed to have put out all the fires in the bakery, but of course they would claim this, wouldn't they? While it's impossible to say for sure, it's most likely that a stray ember from the bakery ovens would ignite the twigs stored there for lighting fires. Where's the bakery? 
on and pudding, pudding lane because I've got Bread Street. Dun, 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 to you, actually, yeah, Bread Street. Is this modern map? No, this is the map you provided. Bread Street. Ah, well, zoom out. You should be able to see Pudding Lane. You got Bread Street, which is adjacent to Milk Street and Wood Street. Pudding Street runs between East Cheap and Thames Street. It's it most likely intersects. that a stray ember from the bakery ovens would ignite <laughs> the twigs stored there for lighting fires. The resulting fire would trap the family upstairs, with the family eventually escaping through a window into the neighbouring house. So I think you meant escaping. No, I no, did mean escaping, escaping but escaping. Their maidservant was too scared to climb out the window, though, and would become the first to die in oh, a great fire. We've been having fun. Come yeah. on. Think about that. So, while the nearby families would try to douse the fire, they wouldn't make much headway, and the local police would decide- Get your hooks and decide, sticks out, guys. Get your hooks and sticks. <laughs> Literally. The local police would decide that the neighbours' homes would need to be demolished to stop the fire. <laughs> As, I still can't get over that. As you can imagine, they didn't like that idea. Was there a name for the hook and stick? I'm, I'm, like Just a, called a fire hook. Uh, yeah, that's it. I wanted some cool English slang. Yeah, for I know. Ghibli bobber. Yeah, Go get your Ghibli bobblers. We need to pull down this house. The Ghibli bobber is spelt with three. I love that too, actually. It's spelt with three J's and a few T's. Yep. Like, yeah, it is, a I'm, few silent T's. I'm yeah. now referring to it as a Ghibli bobber. Ghibli bobber. I love that. As you can imagine, the neighbours didn't like that idea. No. And so the Lord Mayor had to be summoned to make his decision. No, you can't use my ghibli bobber to pull down my own house. By the time <laughs> Lord Mayor Sir Thomas Bloodworth mm. arrived, the fire was already burning the neighbours' homes. Bloody so oath. you should have just pulled them down. The fire was starting to creep towards the riverfront, which, as we know, was full of little powder kegs. Or quite big powder kegs. Bloodworth would refuse to give his permission to destroy the houses in the area, stating he couldn't get hold of the landowners. And anyway, and this is a direct quote, a woman could piss it out. Oh, okay. He would leave the scene. This moment would go down for many as the moment in which London's fate was sealed. So this guy who's in control of the whole city is just like, I don't really want to annoy the rich people that voted oh, me okay. in. So, no, I'm not going to pull their sense. houses down. Yeah. Mm, they're all rentals. Yeah, they're all rentals. Didn't, didn't want to upset the, the 1,500 boomers. Yeah. Yeah. The boomers of London at the time were very powerful. Mm -hmm. By mid-morning, the fire had already been described as a conflagration. Bet you they had their own ghibli bobbler. With 300 houses already burnt and the Ooh. fire having made it to the river already. So, if you will reference your map again, Pudding Lane sure. is rather close, but not directly on the river. All right, hang on, hold up. I've been singing Penny Lane ever since we first mm -hmm. said Pudding Lane. Pudding. Pudding Lane, you're in my- Yeah, it's great. So I still haven't found it, by the way. Houses built- Just- It's like literally marked as a special place of interest on the map. Just zoom out, you'll see it. Oh, right. Yeah. Of course, that's where I said, because it says source, mm. and there's a fire symbol. Yes. Yep. Houses built on London Monument Bridge were on great fire. Great Fire of London. 311 step, Great Fire of London. Again, houses built on London Bridge were on fire. Mm. And people were houses doing- Houses on London Bridge. Yeah, yes. London Bridge. Another also fascinating story. London Bridge was basically an interconnected series of arches and it was all houses along there. Mm. Ah. It was insane. That yeah. London Bridge is currently, or the, the contemporary version of that bridge is currently in America. Well, that London Bridge mm. burnt down. No. London Bridge fell down, but that's different. London Bridge is falling down. 
That London Bridge is actually in America. A guy yeah. bought a guy bought it and re- thinking he was buying Tower Bridge. No, no, no. That's a myth. He knew is what it? he was. Bu- he knew okay. what he was buying. And people were already doing everything they could to outrun the fire. I just picked up mid sentence. Yeah, add Loading- it to the before we go. Add, can you add it to the, the? Yeah, it's a good one. The bridge. The guy that bought London Bridge. It's a brilliant story. Where do you want me to add it? The LinkedIn. Uh, the link tree. Yeah, the link. No, add the, it to our LinkedIn. No, add it to the. <laughs> podcastideas.docx. Okay. All right. Podcastideas.docx. So these people were loading their valuables onto boats or into carts, clogging up the waterways, and more importantly, clogging the streets. Those that had seen the fire firsthand were called in to see King Charles II, telling him that unless he were to demand houses be demolished, nothing would stop the fire. So like the old London Bridge kind of looks like just like a single street of Venice. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Because huh. they could, they could only make the arches so big. That's cool. So it was just a big flat road. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, I'm going to have to tell my wife about it. It's fascinating. Charles would decide to command the houses be demolished, and the royal lifeguards would be offered to help with the fire. But what did William and Harry say? Uh, they were not born. Okay. <laughs> they would just need to be given permission by the Lord Mayor. More oh. on that absolute buffoon soon. What a tosser. At what the an same absolute time. knobhead. This Bloodsworth seems like a bit of a bellend. Bellend. He's a bellend. At the same time as this discussion, the winds in London had picked up <laughs> and were effectively starting to blowtorch the burning buildings. Don't we, don't we have one listener from London? He's going to yeah. absolutely hate Greece. <laughs> he's going to hate our accents. <laughs> I hope he's still listening because I haven't heard from him for a while. Okay. Reese, if you're still listening, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you again. Sure. This episode's for you, Reese. As the fire started to spread even faster, people gave up on their attempts to stop the fire and started to flee the area. Why would you give up? A woman could piss it out. Yeah, apparently. As I said earlier, the streets were crammed with people, and so it was incredibly difficult for the firemen to get anywhere. And even if people wanted to help, they couldn't. People were taking carts full of their valuables to local churches that were out of the way of the fire, staying there to wait out the fire as it ravaged their homes. In the middle of all this... Lord Mayor Sir Thomas Bloodworth was trying to coordinate the firefighting efforts. Oh, so now he's thinking it's a credible threat. Mm, Sure. Where he responded to the king's command to demolish buildings by claiming he was pulling them down, but that the fire was overtaking their efforts. In an attempt to defend his dignity and authority, and perhaps in response to the civil war of a few years earlier, he would decline the offer of assistance from the Royal Lifeguards. And then, for some reason, go home to bed. For those that aren't aware, the Royal Lifeguards are not lifeguards. They don't have caps and they're not awesome wearing ass long sleeve shirts. They're actually just, they're just the senior unit in the British Army. They're part of the household cavalry. They're just soldiers. They yeah. just have a great name. Just to clarify that comment about the Civil War, the Civil War was the London locals and like the the people rising up against the monarchy. So- it didn't really end in anything happening. French Revolution type thing. Kind of, yeah. Um, but essentially the the Lord Mayor didn't want to be seen to be needing the help of the monarch. Mm-hmm. So he was like, no, I don't need you. Go away. We're going to sort this out. We're fine. And then he pisses off to bed. Good job. When King Charles arrived on the scene that later wins. that day, he would find that no, nobody was demolishing houses after all, despite what the idiot Bloodworth had said. 
and he would make the call to override the Lord Mayor and demand the demolition of houses west of the fire in the direction of the wind. Can we just talk about how the king arrived? On a boat? He sailed down on the royal barge. Yeah. Nice. He's like, London oh. is burning. And he's like, hmm, fetch me the royal barge. Well, you think it's and probably the best on- way to get there. Absolutely. It's just- It is very like- Very like, I'm the king. I have a royal barge. And I imagine that he didn't have like a tough man voice. So, it was like, fetch me the royal barge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I wonder if that's where the term barging in comes from. Probably. Why was that funny? They would need to move quickly. It's 10.45. I've got the sillies. Is it 10.45? It's 10.52, actually. Oh, my God. Let's get this episode going. They would need to move quick, <laughs> destroying the houses, though, <laughs> as the fire was now so bad it was creating its own weather. You don't have to speak Fi- faster. Jeez. Fire ban London burned the end. Subscribe to our, <laughs> subscribe to our socials. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs> Sorry, Brie, we're keeping you awake. Just put Blended on, you'll be right. She's already watched it three times since we started. Yeah, that's true. With the houses so close together and with narrowing distance between them, the higher they went, the chimney effect had started. Ooh. Please tell me what the chimney effect is. So hot air starts to plume upwards and create a vacuum at street level. And because it gets pushed into a tighter and tighter space, Mm -hmm. it moves faster and faster, increasing the vacuum effect. Mm -hmm. That draws in more air to fuel the fire. Yep. In turn, creating more heat, more funneling, yep. more vacuuming. Have you seen that naturally happen outside of a, a chimney? No. I have. Terrifying. Yeah. It was uh, bushfire had gone through some bushland and there was like a hollowed out gum tree that was, it was like, it was a couple of metres tall and there was like a, a dead branch off the side that was hollow. So, and it was still burning on the inside and you could hear the air getting sucked in mm. the bottom. And like f- almost flames coming out of the, the branch. And it was just like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. terrifying. It, it's pretty crazy. There was a, in a documentary that I watched about this, they showed like one of the old school houses. They built like a fake old school house mm-hmm. and set it on fire. And then they added the wind that would have been blowing at the time. And just whoosh, up it goes. Just so much quicker. Yeah. yeah. Um, so by Sunday evening- all of these factors had already led to the fire being the worst London had ever seen, having already travelled 500 metres along the riverbank. And it was only just getting started. So, it's this Sunday evening, it started Saturday Sunday. morning, did you Saturday say? Saturday night, Sunday morning. Okay, yep. Yeah, so like 1am Sunday it starts. Yep. By Sunday evening, it's already the biggest there's ever been. Goddamn bakers. A very warm Monday. Monday morning saw the fire moving north and west. The fire had by now damaged the water wheels on London Bridge that fed water into the city's system of pipes, meaning the only source of water would be the river itself. Side note, those pipes were also made of wood, so they burnt as well. Elm. Hmm. As I said earlier, the fire engines were basically useless at this point, with the streets clogged, many not having wheels, and many being in the river. During Monday, the fire reached the financial heart of the city. As you can imagine, this was a much wealthier area with buildings made of brick and stone, so should have been much safer. This was not the case though, and they burnt just like the rest. As the flames got close to bankers' homes, there was a rush to get all the gold out of the homes before it could melt. It was at this point people started to be gripped with helplessness, as if the wealthy couldn't be saved, who could? That's a bit sad. Yeah. Um, So people were like running in, grabbing 
bags of coins and running out of their burning homes. And yeah. the, Was it hot enough to melt gold? Yeah. Okay. Touching on the gripping helplessness, as often is the case with situations like this, people started to panic and began to look for scapegoats. As the wind took embers from the flames into other areas- As the fire still going. Well, who can we blame? Don't worry about putting it out. It's literally day two of a four-day fire. Yeah. As the wind took embers from the flames into other areas and started fires on thatched roofs in untouched areas, people started to suspect that fires were being deliberately lit and that, of course, it must be all the foreigners in the city starting them. Street violence started breaking out and anyone with even a hint of an air of being a foreigner was set upon. Oh, people are dumb. And it's still continuing today. The city's still burning. and Mm. The sudden fear also drove a new market in the city on Monday. Porters for hire. As touched on earlier, people were desperate to get their belongings out of the city. And so anyone with a barge, cart, or even just two working arms would start to offer their (laughs) services to save the belongings of those with enough money to hire them. The cost of hiring a cart had been a few shillings before the fire began but quickly rose to as high as £40, which is the equivalent of £133,000 today, which is about $400,000 Australian. Half a mil for a cart. Yep. The river was clogged with barges taking belongings to the southern side of the city, and the city's gates were in chaos as people tried to escape to the fields surrounding the city. Things at the gates got so bad that the authorities briefly ordered the gates be shut to try and force citizens to fight the fire rather than escape. Oh, that seems like a bad idea. As you can imagine, this did not go down well and the gates were reopened soon after. Monday would finally see the beginning of organised action in London though. The useless Lord Mayor Sir Thomas Bloodworth seemed to have disappeared and left the city. Oh, I was going to say, is he awake? No, he's just pissed off. No accounts of him being anywhere in the city can be found for Monday. What a- Bell end. Yep. To fill the void, King Charles II had put his brother James, the Duke of York, in charge of firefighting operations. James would set up multiple command posts around the fire with authority to demolish any homes necessary to create fire breaks. James and the Royal Lifeguards would ride around the city saving foreigners from the citizens who were attempting to kill them as well. <laughs> and they would win praise from Londoners all over for their continual efforts to save the city from the flames. Mm. Good job, James. Hmm. Tuesday. Tuesday would be the worst day for the fire in terms of property destruction. Most of the city was ablaze or already burnt by the evening of Tuesday, the 4th of September. By mid-morning, it had destroyed the wealthy shopping district. Uh, mm-hmm. had destroyed yep. the wealthy shopping district. Good job. On Cheapside Street. About That's two-thirds <laughs> of the way. Cheapside. Yeah. There's some really Comes dumb- Comes up with these names. There's some really dumb street names in London. Like, like I, just, I don't think it's even Cheapside Street. I think it's just called Cheapside. Like I said, I went through them before. You got like Bread Street, Milk yeah. Street, Wood Street. And you know why they're, they're probably called that? Because that's what someone made there once. Yeah. Like, oh, that's where the bakery is. Bread Street. Alder Manbury. The hell? The fire had also begun to move eastward from Pudding Lane, the source of the fire, towards the Tower of London. Oh, that's where all the big booms are. That is correct. If you remember, five to six hundred tons of black powder in the Tower of London. So this was a pretty massive concern for the garrison there. And they had waited all day for help from James Royal Lifeguards, who were busy in the western side of the city. So they decided to take it into their own hands and blew up large scale sections of houses to create a firebreak. That's right. They would literally blow them up with black powder. Seems like a waste when you just need a hook on a stick. You need a <laughs> you need what, what's yeah. the word? The 
Uh, Ghibli Gobbler. Ghibli Gobbler. Wasn't that, but Ghibli Boblins. Ghibli Bobber. Ghibli Bobber. That's it. I don't think that's it. Someone will cut it. Thankfully, this worked, saving the city from one hell of a fireworks show. They created their own fireworks show. Yeah. St. Paul's Cathedral had been considered a safe haven, and many people had taken refuge there with their belongings. Many people had everything they owned inside, thinking that with the stone walls of the building itself and the large empty plaza around it, that it couldn't possibly catch fire. Unfortunately, the building was undergoing maintenance on the exterior. Had and so wooden scaffolding around surrounded it. Surrounded by wooden scaffolding. Oh, of course it did. With the number of embers flying around, the inevitable happened on Tuesday evening and the scaffolding caught fire. Within 30 minutes, the lead roof of the cathedral was melting, showering oh. anyone left in the building oh. with melted lead. Oh, no. And it set fire to all the books within. No. It's nasty. It's raining molten raining lead. molten lead. Oh. Yeah. It's raining. It would only take the one night for the cathedral to be destroyed. <laughs> it's raining rain lead. lead. Oh, <laughs> it's raining lead. Uh, uh, uh. It's hot, molten, burning my scalp. Far to the west, outside the Roman walls. By the way, that was fantastic. So, outside the walls Hallelujah, now. it's raining lead. The Duke of York's command post where Strand and Fleet Street met would hope to use the River Fleet- as Fleet a natural Street. fire I know Fleet break. Street. You do. Monopoly. So they would try to use it as a natural fire break. So mm-hmm. the Thames sort of runs along the bottom of the city and then the mm-hmm. River Fleet comes in on the western side. Picture yourself looking at a map. Picture yourself looking at a map of a river. The firefighters there would line the River Fleet, but the fire would jump across Fleet Street to their north, outflanking them and continue. <laughs> taking a hit on his beer again. <laughs> And continuing to burn to the west, forcing the command post to be abandoned and the fire to make it outside the walls of the city, now burning into the building's west. Now, this whole time I've been picturing the, like, the city burning like just a I thought the whole time you've been picturing yourself looking yeah. at a map. <laughs> we got to remember, like this is just what I've just remembered, like mentally imaging this is all the smoke. Yeah. Like even daytime is probably dark because there's that much smoke. Almost yeah. as much smoke as the beginning of an NRL game at the moment. Embers, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I think that's the thing I've got to remember. I've got to remember is that even like midday, yeah, it's probably still street level, dark because there's just that much smoke. Mm-hmm. They were saying that for days after the fire, it was too hot to walk on the street. Oh, because just the residual heat. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and like it's not, it's not like starting in the middle and burning out like that. It's like jumping ahead and then burning backwards, backwards. into itself. Yeah, and right. like, yeah, just because you're not in front of the line of the fire doesn't mean you're about to get, like, not about to be mm. burnt. Yeah, crazy. So we're up to Wednesday now. Finally, on Wednesday, the 5th of September, the winds would die down, allowing the fire breaks to be effective. While there would still be smaller fires throughout the city, the great conflagration had ended. Some coal fires in people's cellars, though, would continue burning for up to two months. Well, Many of those- Just had a stockpile of coal in the cellar. Well, because mm-hmm. that's all they had. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Many of those mad homeless by the- uh, Sorry, many of those mad homeless- Many <laughs> of those made homeless <laughs> by the fires would camp in a large park called Moorfields to the north of the city. Tensions would be high, as you might imagine, and foreigners would continue to be attacked in the camps. Oh, 
We're still on that. With estimates of between 65,000 and 100,000 people homeless due to the fires, you can imagine there was a lot of people to attack. There was also a lot of people to feed, and with food production and distribution severely impacted, King Charles II would fear a rebellion by Londoners against the monarchy. He would announce that bread would be brought in from neighbouring villages daily and that markets would be set up around, around the perimeter of the city as soon as possible. The fire is said to have destroyed 80% of buildings in medieval London, with 13,000 of them being private homes, with an wow. estimated value of 9 to 10 million pounds or 1.79 billion in 2021. Wow. That is like 1981 games industry. <laughs> Aftermath and rebuilding. Yeah. Staggeringly, the official death toll of the fire is ridiculously low. Somewhere between six and ten people are said to have died in the fire. Excuse me? Yes. Not, I thought you were going to say hundred. It's because no. they can get out so fast. All you got to do is just like- You pull one wall you can down. Just, you just Kool-Aid man <laughs> at the- <laughs> You just strike through <laughs> the wall. Run the wall and just, ha! Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Out you go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm that, that so was, sorry. That was people. a blowout. Look I'm, at the spike on yeah, the I'm audio sorry. wave. Woo! Sorry, ancient people of London. However, historians. Sorry to the listeners' ears. Come on. Oh, yeah. Historians debate this to this day. Mm. As much of the city was poor and therefore undocumented, all the records were burnt. The fire was also so hot as to completely destroy a body. Some people say that the death toll could be into the thousands. But. Even with the highest estimates, it's pretty low considering the destruction. The entire city, yeah. 80% of the city gone and maybe a couple thousand people dead. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's sad and it's a tra- tra- tragedy. It's a travesty. But <clears throat> it's pretty low. You were trying to say travesty, weren't you? I was trying not to say travesty, but then it was <laughs> in my head, so that's all I wanted to say. With such a high percentage of destruction, many people would move to the other parts of the city or other villages entirely. Did it burn down the wall? Is that why the wall doesn't nope. exist? The wall doesn't exist because of World War II. Okay. Rent within the city would go up by 200% within days. Oh, conspiracy. The, the, the mayor was in on it. He was getting higher rent rates and commission on rates. and There were stories about- he did it. It was an inside job. So like there, were, there were courts organised to organise, uh, to fix disputes, mediate disputes between renters and landlords. Mm-hmm. And quite often it would be decided that the renters still had to pay for their burnt house. That's- Yeah. Shh, poor crap. It's at that day that the insurance companies were born. <laughs> Actually, yes. Oh, really? I will get to that. Rent- Sorry. So, <laughs> rent went up to 200%. You are just on it today with getting ahead of the story. That was unintentional. Because he's reading it on the no, website, right? <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> Within weeks, the price of buying a house would be 10 times what it was prior to the fire. The high prices would continue for years and anyone living or working in London would just have to deal with it. A man named Robert H- uh, Hubert was arrested trying to flee the country and would confess to being part of a French gang trying to destroy London and that he had set the fires, uh, set the Great Fire of London in an attempt to accomplish that. Why would he admit that? At this stage, the fire starting in the bakery on Pudding Lane wasn't known of, and oh. so Hubert would be put on trial for the crime. During his trial, though, Hubert would change his story, and there would be those who doubted his fitness to stand trial, considering his possible mental deficiency. 
Despite this, he would be found guilty and hanged in October of, of 1666, course. less than two months after the fire was extinguished. Get ready for this. I need an escape goat. Get ready. After his death, it would become apparent he was on a ship in the North Sea until two days after the fire, so couldn't possibly have had anything to do with it. Hmm. Tisk. Tisk. In the longer-term aftermath of the fire, the spread of population significantly changed, with new building regulations setting the distance homes could be built from each other, building material regulations forbidding wood and requiring stone, and a buffer against the river being put in place. This meant only 9,000 homes could be rebuilt in the space that 13,000 once stood, so the population moved to the western suburbs of London. Private rebuilding is said to have been completed in 1671, just five years on from the fire, which is impressive, but when you consider the homes are pretty much made of nothing anyway. Mm, Not so impressive. Could they still be pulled down with a hook and stick? A, a no, because bobbler? now they're made of stone. Yeah. Mm. So they need a uh, Ghibli Bobbler XL. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a longer pole. <laughs> with a bigger hook. As a side note, I mentioned the markets would be set up in the city by King Charles as soon as possible after the fire. That was achieved by Saturday. So the fire was put out one Wednesday. Week, yeah. Oh, Saturday is back. When it started. The markets yeah. are back, yeah. So that's pretty pretty quick. On your Charles. And those markets today are hat and garden. No. Yeah. The fire also saw the improvement of firefighting techniques with the introduction of a dedicated fire brigade, improved fire engines that were, you know, useful, and the removal of old wooden water pipes in favour of metal and stone pipes that wouldn't burn. Good job. It also resulted in the introduction of the world's first insurance companies, with the first being called the Fire Office. It would offer to reimburse policyholders for damage in future fires and offering policy benefits, including cheaper fees for people who built brick houses instead of wood, and even having its own private fire brigade that would only fight fires on houses that bore the insurance company's mark. Wow. The last thing that I want to mention today is- Good, good the, to see that insurance companies have changed since in yeah. 400 years. <laughs> yeah. They're basically the exact same the principle. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention is the monument which was built to commemorate the fire. Oh, yeah. That's on the map. Yes. That is on the map. It right next built, to the little Pudding Lane. I will have a photo of this put up. Okay, sure. Uh, it was built close to Pudding Lane in 1677 at the request of King Charles II. Uh, it still stands today at 61.5 metres tall or 202 feet. There is also a monument on the site where the fire is said to have finally died out called the Golden Boy, situated in the west of the city. It is literally just like a little golden boy on the side of a building. Okay. What's the, is it just like a normal monument, the one next to Pudding Lane? Like- yeah, it's just a big, big tall stick. Like a big, okay. Yeah. And that is the story of the Great Fire of London. And I didn't even touch on the anti anti Catholic stuff. Was it wasn't there a second fire of London during World War Two? Didn't didn't London catch fire then as well? Probably due Probably to some bombing. A lot of bombing, yeah. yeah. Just a bit of bombing. The Blitz, yeah. The Blitz that's Creek, it. which is not the bombing, but that's the story. Nice boy, thanks for that. That's um, it's going to be burned into my memory for a while. Boo! <laughs> I have heard of yeah, the Great yeah, Fire yeah, of London for a long time. I even had a horrible histories book, uh, oh, yeah. sorry, magazine that included it. Um, yeah, didn't know a lot of just how bad it was. I mean, if it's true that maybe six to ten people died, that's very incredible. Like, it's 
Even if it's a thousand, it's ridiculous how few it was. Yeah. So how many people were living there at the time? Like, what did you say? Like, so there was a hundred thousand that were displaced. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sixty-five to a hundred thousand were displaced. I mean, how lucky would you feel if you were one of the houses that one of the seventeen percent remaining or whatever remaining, it was? Yeah. Yeah. But then everyone's got like these nice new brick houses, and you're still in your little mud and stick shack. Yeah. Thirteen thousand homes, hundred thousand people displaced. Mm. Wheel. Wheel. Yeah. Just because of a. Baker didn't put out his oven properly. Because a French watchmaker fired a long flaming arrow from a ship in the North Sea. <laughs> Ooh, I think I'm going to hit him. Instead, he clipped a pigeon. Oh. There was, there was a whole bunch of stuff in there as well in the, like, what people tried to scapegoat that was like, oh, it's the Catholics' fault. Oh, Because okay. they hated yeah. Catholics. So it got to the point where there was, for like 200 years on that monument, there was a- um, plaque that was like basically F the Catholics. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like blaming the Catholics. Wow. Being like, oh, the fire that they started still hasn't gone out. And then there was an act that got brought in about the persecution of Catholic people at the Protestant hands because of the Church of England that got that plaque removed. Mm. Okay. But that is the story. There will be some images on yeah, nice story. Facebook, Thanks, Instagram, and Twitter. Obviously not photos, but there will be some drawings. Very much sparked an interest. Mm. You're loving that, aren't you? <laughs> I think it's time for bed. Oh, that one got me. <laughs> that one got me. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. I enjoyed that one. Hope you did too. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully they like it. Hopefully it fans the flames. Fans the flames. Of interest. In yeah. Share it with yeah. your favourite pyromaniac. Yeah, spread the story like wildfire. <laughs> All right, good night. Hopefully it ignites an interest in- mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening, everyone. We will see you in another fortnight. Good night. Good night. Sweet dream. Flame on. Flame on. Flame on. <laughs> Boo. No, it should be flame off. He doesn't say that, though. <laughs>